Hey, this is Thor from Cybrary. If you've been enjoying the Cybrary podcast or one of our other series like 401 Access Denied or Go For It with Sarah Moffat, then make sure to like, follow, or subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. And we'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or review on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at cybrary.it and you could be featured in a future episode. From all of us at Cybrary, thank you and enjoy the show. On this episode of the Cybrary Podcast, Jan Yogeman continues the conversation on Mimecast's security awareness training. Jan shares his experience as one of the writers for the training show, including brainstorm sessions and favorite moments on the set. If the last Cybrary Podcast left you curious about the production process, this podcast episode is for you. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Cybrary Podcast. I'm Thomas Warlocker, Head of Creative Services here at Cybrary, and today I'm speaking with Jan Yogman from Mimecast. How are you doing today, Jan? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I know uh, for our listeners, anybody who watches or who has Mimecast and watches the human error uh, videos, Jan is the person who actually writes and produces all of those. Um, so how did you kind of get started? Are, what is your background in cybersecurity? I um I, I probably am as far away from the cybersecurity field as as you can get. My background was in in television. I worked uh, with Michael J. Fox for many years. My first internship, way too long ago, was with Late Night with Conan O'Brien. Dana Carvey had a show for a few minutes, um, which is where Steve Carell and Stephen Colbert had their introduction to. Uh, to television. And so I was in this completely different lane as a, as a writer, as a producer, as uh, an event planner, um, and, uh, and got pulled into uh, this very specific uh, lane of writing about cybersecurity. And so, um, yeah, I come from a, my background is creative and is not technical. Um, I was the the end user making all the mistakes uh, that I now write about, but there was a time where I I did not know anything about this. Yeah, and I mean, just with those uh, those names that you uh, just went over, I mean, I can see where the the comedy comes from and stuff that you know now uh, I'm guessing kind of influences uh, the human error stuff that you do. Um, do you, I mean, do you kind of pull back from those previous experiences and you know some of the ideas you come up with? You know, it's it's really interesting that, um, and I tell Drew this all the time. Drew Freed, our our esteemed actor who plays Human Error, who I know you had the privilege to speak to recently, mm-hmm. um, he's so good. His timing, his reaction, those beats that he that he takes, always being in engaged and listening, even if there's a half a page that doesn't involve him. And I tell him this all the time that. Uh, his sensibility reminds me a lot of Michael J. Fox, uh, who was the the undisputed king of of comedic timing, um, and similar skin tone between Michael and, and 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 Drew. So other similarities. Michael doesn't have the crazy hair, um, <laughs> but so it's it's really um, it's really interesting to have you know that sort of familiar. Um, piece that was just sort of this inadvertent thing that uh, I have at my disposal. 
And, you know, I sort of, I, I talk about my time in TV as my, my graduate school experience and how I learned um, how to tell stories, how I learned editing and all the pieces of post-production that it creates to do this. So it's amazing how so much of all, all those times when you're, you know, running around killing yourself as a, as an intern, as a production assistant, thinking like, where is this going to go? But just being able to absorb everything that I saw and having had the privilege of being around, you know, some pretty amazing talent, but also some amazing writers, amazing storytellers. Um, I think I'm always tapping into that. And I think it's so crazy that I was in this like higher profile thing that I did that now has prepared me for this very specific niche to, to writing direct, you know, short videos about cybersecurity. Yeah. And I, I mean, you mentioned at the beginning that, you know, you were uh, back then you were the end user that uh, you write for now. Uh, you know, what did you know about cybersecurity? I mean, how, you know, how has your life changed now that you're writing these, like you're, um, you know, are you not the end user anymore? Uh, are you more aware of what you're, what you're doing? So it, it's really interesting when, and, you know, I'll have a chance to maybe talk a little bit about sort of the evolution of our content and how we started as a startup. Uh, and then ultimately, a Tata, that company was acquired by Mimecast. Um, but when my um, former boss and current friend, a, a guy that I went to, to college with, had this company that he was getting off the ground trying to make cybersecurity training fun and interesting, um, came to me and because he knew of, of, of my background and what I, what I could bring to the table. Um, and the reason why, a big part of the reason why I think the combination worked was because it wasn't about thinking about awareness training differently. People talk about thinking outside the box. I didn't know there was a box. Like I was so far away from the box. And it wasn't like, how do we take current training and the way people talk about cybersecurity and how do we infuse that with humor? It's how do we forget everything we know about security awareness training and just do it a completely different way? And I think, I think a lot of what allowed me to do that was not having anything in my head about how the training was done and truthfully not knowing what a lot of these typical human condition mistakes were. So if it was something that seemed like a pretty simple concept, I had to go out and talk to the people who knew a lot more than me to understand it. And so explain it to me, let me process that, synthesize it, and then figure out how to put that back out um, in a conversational way. And it has to be that way because I had to have it, you know, boiled down to its basics. And so I'm not a tech person speaking a language that nobody understands. I'm taking these, you know, what seem to be these high level concepts, which are not, they're very sort of basic and understandable and talking to people where they are, who they are, how they are. And I think that's, I think that's, that's how, um, I think I attribute that to some of the success in, in how I've been able to, uh, to do this in a way where, where people are actually paying attention. 
Yeah, I think that's interesting. Like how you said coming in with fresh eyes, like it's all new to you. So you're not coming in with any preconceptions or, oh, this is how the training should be or how the training might go. Just starting from scratch with just, you know, the idea for an episode maybe. Um, How how is it working with like the, an SME, like the subject matter expert who's explaining those concepts to you? I mean, at the beginning, was that just like swimming in the deep end of the pool and trying to learn these things or... Yeah, I, I think um, the, I remember the, the first time that we sat down to discuss some of these issues, a few of us got together actually um, in Philadelphia. Uh, it was just, it just seemed to be a common meeting place. I remember we, we spent the better part of the day, you know, talking through some of these things. And I went into it intimidated because I was around people who, um, we're living and breathing this, this stuff and how I was like, it was like the first day of school mm-hmm. and you know, it's, it's exciting, but am I going to be able to, 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 to keep up? And as I realized as they were talking about it, that when that, that makes sense, you know, um, there's no secret in what makes a weaker password and how you might make a stronger password. Okay. I, may be somebody who uses the same password for anything, for everything. But now I understand why that's probably a really bad idea. And I can understand that and I can explain that or, oh yeah, I click on stuff that I'm curious about and, (laughs) and realize. So for the most part, I would say most of what we do isn't that complicated. If you just take the time to listen and under and understand to it with the exception of some content, you know, some concepts that might be a little bit more complicated and you just have to, you know, you just have to boil that down a, a little bit further and, and, and ask the questions. And when people start talking in that foreign language, you know, repeating, sometimes it means, you know, doing a web search and reading about what you think you, you know, you, you, you just heard, but it's, that that's the th- that's the thing. My, I think my confidence level increased as as I realized there is no reason why I can't talk to people about this stuff. It's just that we're in an industry uh, filled with with brilliant people who speak with big sounding brilliant words that can be intimidating. And so I think for the regular end user you know, that's the, that's the myth of, of this stuff. Why, you know, I'm just a a numbers person or I'm in, in, in marketing or I, you know, I work in admin. I, I'm not supposed to think about all that, that other stuff. It, it's, it's not as, it's not as technical. It's not, the deep end isn't as deep Mm -hmm. as, um, I think the industry kind of leads us to think, um, that, it, that, it, that it is. So uh, yeah, I was swimming in the deep end, but realized, wait a minute, the pool wasn't as deep as everybody uh, <laughs> seemed to suggest it was. Yeah, as you learn more, you kind of realize you're, you know, might be drifting over to the shallower end as you're like, oh, this isn't as complicated as I, I thought it might be. Um, yeah, I, I think so. And you, you know, you also asked me, you know, if I was that typical you know, end user in our training, you know, who is the poster child, the guy who makes mistakes. And that's, that's Doug, who is uh, also a really fun character to write. And is there, is there Jan and Doug 
Uh, probably not. I mean, Doug is on his own island, but um, you know, the the other the other really interesting thing about it is it's not just explaining these concepts that may be foreign to people. A lot of this stuff, people do know better, right? People know that, you know what, I probably shouldn't be using the same password at work that I'm using for my social media or my bank account, my personal email, my LinkedIn, you know, whatever it is. But it's just easier that way. So there is the, there's the mistake that's made just because I'm unaware. And then there's the mistake that's made because I'm aware, but using what I know might make my life a little bit harder. And now I've got to get a password manager. I've got to, I'm constantly resetting my passwords. So that is, I think when I look at myself, it's not that I don't understand it anymore, but where am I taking those shortcuts where, you know, I should know better very early, you know, into this, you know, my, uh, my boss wanted me to update my, my LinkedIn profile um, because I was with this startup at Tata. And if anybody did research on us, that they could see my background and um, realized that I couldn't get into my LinkedIn. Clearly somebody had tried to get in or successfully did get in and abused it. And I have not been able to figure out how to reactivate my LinkedIn account. So I, um, I have been a victim. I have been a target um, and somewhere along the line, um, I've made the same mistakes that, uh, that, that we all have. Uh, well, that explains why I couldn't find you on LinkedIn when I was doing research for this episode. So. <laughs> that's, that's right. It's not because I'm shady or uh, yeah. off, off the grid. It's, uh, um, it's, uh, yeah, they're really hard to get a hold of to, to figure, <laughs> yeah. to, to figure out how to, how to fix that. Yeah. So when you were, when you came up with human error, did, did you come up with human error first or sound judgment or one before the other, and then realized you needed a foil for that person to kind of deal with? So, so that's a great question. And, um, credit to those who, who came before me, um, including human error. And so people think, oh, I created human error. The truth was that Michael Madden and Tim Jackson, who were the, the, uh, the co-founders of Atata, um, Madden came from a, a cybersecurity background and he, he, it was his light bulb that went off that said, training sucks. There's gotta be a better way to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and his good friend and, and, and business partner, Tim, Tim Jackson, who, um, you know, did so much of the, the blocking and, in, in, in tackling for proof of concept, they were put in touch with a production company. Um, in New York, and they all sat around and, um, and, you know, human error was, was, was born. And so um, Madden handed me human error, I was actually able to see the this, these proof of concept videos. But of course, the first thing I saw was, oh, my God, these are, these are too long. These are the obvious cuts that I would make, where's the music? Um, you know, this could use a little bit more, you know, more sound design. So the first thing that I did when I came in was I first, um, those three show pieces was able to, to improve upon what had already been created. And, and the, the huge stroke of luck, um, I think was finding human error. And that went through, um, you know, they cast it like any other role and, 
And he was clearly the guy. And when, when Madden first showed me what they had done, um, even though I knew there was room for improvement, I saw massive potential in the way that they were thinking about it and what the, the initial pass looked like. And um, just this affinity towards this, this, this character and, you know, and the actor clearly, clearly, you know, behind it. So I came in and because I couldn't think inside this cybersecurity box, you know, I went back to my own toolbox, which was television and sitcom television, you know? So I actually inherited human error and at least the, the, um, you know, the concept, the character and, and, you know, the man behind the character. And so instead of, you know, reaching into some cybersecurity toolbox to be able to um, figure out how to make these, I reached into my toolbox, which consisted of, of you know, TV tools. And so mm-hmm. I, I saw this as a sitcom. I wanted to create a world around human error, not really even around human error. He's not technically in the world, but I thought... Uh, the first thing we needed to do was to create this generic office where we think they sell something. We don't know um, what exactly it is that they do, but a cast of characters that represented regular people. Um, and, uh, and that way in every episode, we wouldn't have to have any sort of explanation of who these people are. It's you put on an episode of, you know, whatever your favorite sitcom is, even if you've missed a season, you know who the people are and there's, mm-hmm. there's no, there's no catch up needed. Yeah. Um, the first thing, um, one, the other, so the other thing I did was in addition to saying, Hey, let's, let's think about this like television. Let's create this recurring, you know, sitcom, you know, style of, of, of content. Uh, but the problem that I saw was that human error uh, existed in this other plane and could talk at people, but not to them or with them. Mm -hmm. And that he really did need somebody in his own plane to be able to, to, to banter with. And so I pitched the idea of, of, uh, of sound judgment. Truthfully, there was a little bit of, of resistance to that in the beginning, just because this whole thing was human error. Mm -hmm. But once the character was, you know, was created and realized uh, the dimension that she was able to add and, the, and, and how that brought even more out of human error in this sort of devil-angel dichotomy over... I mean, in literally, they're usually standing, you know, mm-hmm. over, over their shoulders. Um, it, it gave human error the, uh, somebody to play with. And it also gave me the, the voice of reason, the vehicle, the professor to be able to drop knowledge um, with, without it being preachy because there was always somebody there arguing with her, making the, the, you know, the, the opposite, the, the opposite claim. So I think, so human error, um, brilliant in concept. And I can say that because as I mentioned, Michael and, and Tim, you know, handed, handed me the, the most important piece of this. Um, and then in just a, uh, you know, this, I don't, I, you know, I, it's, it, I don't think it's an accident. I was about to say stroke of luck. It was not, we, you know, we, 
we went through an arduous casting process and we do every time that we, we bring in new characters and we have really found lightning in a bottle with, with everybody that we're lucky enough to, to film with. Um, you know, I mentioned the Doug character and Michael Delisle who plays, uh, you know, who, who plays Doug. And if you want to interview him on a future, uh, Yes, a hundred percent. I would love to interview that. Doug is like most people that I work with favorite character. Um, and my actually, my real life brother, his name is Doug. So it's uh, always just like a funny concept that, cause it's not the most usual name. So, uh, definitely have some connection there. Cause I see some similarities, but yeah, I would definitely love to interview him as well. <laughs> absolutely. And it's, and it's funny cause a lot of times we drew human error and I will be at a cybersecurity convention like black hat or, mm-hmm. or RSA or others that have been, you know, all over the world. And he does this bit where he, you know, he asks somebody what their, who their favorite uh, character is. And of course the person says Doug, and it looks like human error is upset by that. And he takes a minute and he says, yeah, me too. <laughs> like human error <laughs> loves, you know, loves Doug and is really protective of him in a way, even though, um, you know, he's, he is deepest into Doug's head. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so, so him, uh, our, our RIT guy, who's played by Amadeo Fusca, who um, is, you know, a straight up comedy guy, plays that straight role. And another, mm-hmm. another voice of reason, another way to be able to drop knowledge um, in a way that he, he's, you know, he's so good. Our, um, uh, our, our, our Jada character played by, by Kira Jackson and, and Alex, who's Jessica Angles just making sure I, and to, to, to all the cast members who I love deeply, who, um, it's like an award show that the music's starting yep. to play. Yeah. yeah. You gotta make sure time. to mention everybody or somebody's going to be upset. <laughs> but, you know, the, the thing that's so cool about it is none of these people know they're like me know anything about it and you see a casting call and it's you know and it's this industrial you know shoot and it doesn't sound that interesting but you know people have to pay the bills and then they end up coming in and and some of a lot of them do know each other their paths have crossed through their their improv and sketch work a lot of them are out of upright citizens brigade uh you know the the, you know the improv group and um we've now done this for so long and had the opportunity to bring everybody together that it's like getting every time we get the band back together to shoot another season, I either they're lying to me or they really just very much enjoy working with each other in, in material that's not supposed to be fun, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, to, 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 to work on. So to see where it, it, it's gone from, you know, the, the, this idea in Madden's head, the creation of human error, the evolution of sound judgment and this, and this, this sitcom world and all the people that we've been able to bring in and out of it. Um, and the fact that we've, we've now made over 80 videos and, you know, it, it, it's still to me anyway, and I'll be the first to admit when it starts to feel not fresh anymore, maybe that's the benefit of, of keeping these to three minutes or less. But, um, you know the fact that that we want to be around these people is is is, uh, is a testament to I think how good 
they uh, they all are. Yeah, I mean, it's obvious when you're watching it that there is chemistry among the cast. Like, you can just kind of tell little things here and there. Like, they do seem to get along. And when I was talking to Drew, he did mention that, you know, he knew a lot of them, you know, from UCB, um, yeah. and their improv work and stuff like that. Is is any of what happens improv? You know, is that kind of go on set or is it, you know, whatever you write? So, you know, it, it's it's interesting that when they... The first couple videos that Drew did, I know that there were scripts that they followed, but it felt like um, a lot of, you know, there was a lot of room for improv, which was a blessing and a curse. In some ways, it was a little bit directionless. Um, like, did we cover all the beats that we need to? So I scripted, you know, the way I want to hear it, but we almost always do takes where we just let them go. And so there's a lot of great stuff that comes out of Michael Delisle, who plays Doug, that is, um, dare I say, piss in your pants funny. And <laughs> stuff that, um, that Drew, a lot of times, you know, it'll be Doug, or a lot of times it'll be, uh, be human error, who has a final line. And there are always take, we, you know, we never like to cut, you know, when we think we're done because we never know what may come out. And so um, they're following scripts and it's most of what you're seeing is, is the way I intended it. But, um, but credit to them, some of the, you know, some really, really funny stuff comes out of um, that ability just to think quickly and to really, understand the uh the, the the characters yeah i mean yeah i mean you can tell that yeah it seems like there's just some fun kind of being had on set are you on set during every recording do you kind of sit there do you direct as well or um do you yeah just so kind of i picture? yeah so i i do that i you know i i've always you know i've you know always you know knew all the elements of producing and you know had um you know knew that I could write this, the idea of directing it was, um, you know, was pretty foreign. And, and that was something that was intimidating to me. Um, but I realized if you have a good director of photography who knows how to light it and who knows how to set up good shots and, and present me with good shots and, you know, I, I, because I can hear it in my head, I know what I, you know, what I want out of the actors. And so, I kind of fell into it and it's really, it's really fun because number one, they're, they're really good at, at taking direction. Um, but at the same time, uh, they also allow me to sit back because their take on something may be different than I had imagined it. And, and I, and I think, you know, I say, I was about to say that, you know, I think the sign of a good director and that sounds in, incredibly pretentious because <clears throat> I, I, I'm, you know, I don't consider myself a director, even though I do direct these, but I think the, it's, it's knowing when to give the direction and to help, you know, to help shape, but it's also knowing when to get the hell out of the way. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, yeah, I'm always on set. Um, I, you know, the one thing that I can, can say that probably, in fact, I know makes me, makes everybody else crazy is that I won't stop until I know we have the take the right way. 
Um, and sometimes we have it, but I'm not sure. I'll go back. Oh, yeah, that second take would have been fine. You know, we didn't have to wait until the seventh take to, to get it. But it's one of those things, especially when you're shooting, you know, when you're shooting in real life, um, which is a foreign concept. We just had, we've just done a bunch of animation and, and stuff over Zoom. But when you're shooting in real life, you, you don't have the opportunity to say, oh, let's do that again. Once once you're in once you're in editing, so you better you better have it before you wrap. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I think part of um, the polish that we bring is making sure we get it right in editing. It is looking at every take. It's it's adding frames to make the beat longer. It's taking out frames to to make the response tighter to make the pacing better it's music our music is all is all custom it's all composed by gary brown who back in the 80s was a was a touring member of cool in the gang um (laughs) and he you know he composes everything our our uh the person who does our color correction a guy named ron anderson who's got all his his emmys and is is just brilliant at that it's uh, you know, sound design and our, you know, our editors, mainly a guy named Doug Van Sickle, who, you know, I, I make cr- absolutely crazy, but it's all, it's put, it's taking all these other influences that you, that you don't, that aren't immediately obvious to the viewer, but it's, it's putting that polish in and, and having everybody know that I'm not going to stop until it is, it's, it's never going to be perfect, but if, if it can be better, you have got to keep getting it better. And that goes for the performance, the music, um, the editing and all of it. So what you're seeing as an end user is not, we just go, we shoot some things and you know, this, cause this is your line of work as well, but it's, it's, it's a commitment by everybody involved to make the final product, uh, as polished and as finished as, as as possible and i think that's something that I, i'm really proud of what we do that um you know feels like you're watching tv yeah i mean it's I, I mean just all of the production elements that you just talked about you know color correction and sound design and the editing and all of that i mean i think just helps to separate the human error videos and all of those videos from other awareness training that i've seen um yeah. it's just like it is completely different it is like watching a little tv show every you know, we get the trainings once a month, every month, you're just kind of checking back in with your friends a little bit, you know, you're watching the videos and seeing, you know, what Doug's up to and what everybody else is doing. Um, It's more than just like, oh, it's the next training, I'm gonna have to click through and like, make sure it's, you know, some guy in front of a whiteboard or something like that. um, Talking about the topic, it's more involved, there's, you know, a lot that goes into it. And, And here's the, here was the thing that where we knew we had something. Um, we started to hear from customers that employees, the end users who were watching these were actually looking forward to the next installment of their awareness training. And if you think about how crazy that is, because anybody who works in any industry has had, has to do some training, whether it's video, whether it's awful PowerPoints or whether it's, it's, you know, live presentations and the fact that people were being entertained and wanted more to see, you know, what Doug did or what the, the what ridiculous thing human error might say, um, 
meant that people were paying attention. And, um, and so we started to hear this from, you know, from, from our customers. And when I travel with Drew or before the pandemic, when I had the good fortune of traveling uh, with Drew to, to all corners of the globe where our awareness training is viewed, to see the, the celebrity status that Drew has when he w- just randomly wanders into uh, a customer's office and they obviously he's immediately recognizable. If you watch the training video and the guy yeah. in a robe with the human error shirt and that crazy hair walks in, you you know who it is. And it is um and, and, and that is sort of the ultimate compliment to see how excited people are um to 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 meet him. Yeah. And so to be able to with with every concept as boring and dry as that that the little kernel of what we have to convey might be if the stuff surrounding it can entertain um, uh, this whole idea of keeping people's intention engaging. If they're laughing, they're, they're learning, they're paying attention to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's funny that you touched on. I mean, the, my coworkers here were ecstatic when they heard that human air was going to be on the podcast. They had so many questions. I mean, he is, a celebrity, you know, everybody here looks forward to watching the trainings. And I told Drew when I was talking to him, I saw him at Black Hat 2019. Just, I was going down an escalator and he was going up the stairs and he was just swarmed by people. I mean, when you guys were, you know, originally creating these episodes, did you think of he was going to be a celebrity? Like this was going to be something that would kind of take off and he'd be recognized all over the world? No, you know, because the way our customers... Uh, in the end, users ultimately view the training. It's on a closed platform. You know, there's there's some stuff, other things that we've done, which you can find online or on 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 YouTube. But to actually see these tra- this the training, uh, your company has to to sign up for it, and you know, and and then it gets delivered, and you watch it. But it's it's on it's in this sort of this bubble. And I don't think I ever had an appreciation for how big that bubble could actually uh, become. And, and, and it's something, and I imagine you would have talked to Drew about this. I don't think it's surreal for him. You know, a guy who was bartending in New York, um, who was, you know, a, a working actor doing some cool stuff that, you know, t- takes a job for a day to make a couple of sample videos of what this larger concept could look like to now literally be on ACDC Lane in Melbourne, Australia, filming segments for what we call human error on the street, just these stand-up, you know, um, fun things that we do where he's talking to people about the silly (laughs) security stuff that they do. And we're filming, and from down the street, we hear somebody yell, human error. (laughs) And it was four people who were on a lunch break and they, they get the training and they ran over. We were in that same black hat that you, you mentioned, we were in the hotel lobby about to go out and shoot on the street. And these three women say, there's human error. And I thought, okay, we're at black hat. It's a cybersecurity conference. He's going to reckon, but they were, they were just in town. They worked for a cruise line. They just happened to be in Vegas (laughs) and saw in, and saw him. Um, I've come out of a hotel before and we're on our way somewhere and he's not even in the robe yet. 
but he is still very recognizable and people will, um, you know, come, come up to him. And so the, the fact that, um, you know, that there is this mystique, this celebrity, you know, behind the guy is, is, is really, is just a really, really cool thing. Yeah, it's yeah, it's so so crazy. I mean, I was talking to him about it, and yeah, traveling the world and all of that stuff. And the um, you sent me some of those videos, the yeah um, from uh, Melbourne, where he's kind of walking on the street, just people's kind of instant reaction. Some people recognize him, some people don't. Um, yeah, yeah it's just kind of uh, kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, so when you're thinking about each episode, I mean, you guys have gone over so many different topics. You know, ransomware, public Wi-Fi, credential harvesting, physical mm-hmm. access, all of this stuff. Do you kind of sit and figure out what you want the topic to be, and then kind of write an episode around it? How do you guys kind of come up with that stuff? So the every time that we set out to create the next season, um, it's it's a multi-step process, and I don't start by thinking. What's the funny stuff that we can do? I create a simple Excel spreadsheet where it's number one, what's the category? Is it, a, is it a phishing module? Is it about passwords? Is it about information security, um, office hygiene, whatever that is? And what's the topic? You know, is it, you know, the ones that you mentioned, is it the idea of why you should lock your screen every time you're away? from your computer or is it um, tailgating and why you shouldn't hold the door for somebody um, who's trying to get in the building behind you that may or may not, um, you know, shouldn't have access. Um, So thinking about what the, the core point is, what is, what is that topic boiling that down? Then the, the next column is, is the takeaway and all right, this is what we're talking about. What, but what are the one or two or three things that we want to be able to hit as the as the sound judgment, as the good advice for that that topic? So this spreadsheet evolves in a few different ways. One is uh, I'll start by looking at other videos that we've done and say, okay, we've got you know somebody talking in an Uber. Uh, on the phone and the driver overhears something, hmm. well, you know, and in season five, we, you know, you, if you're out with people in a restaurant and there's sense, really sensitive information, you may not know who's near you in the restaurant. And so that topic and really the takeaway is the same from a video that we've already done, but it's a completely different scenario mm-hmm. where people may not extrapolate and say, okay, I can understand we know this person can hear, you know, how do you protect that information? And whether you're uh, in a hotel lobby or an elevator or a restaurant or just walking down the street, thinking about who you're talking to and thinking about what you are uh, talking about. So I'll start by starting with, I'll start with what I think are some ideas. We will also circle back to the subject matter experts and say, what are you hearing in the field right now? What, what are those, those hot topics? So in the last couple of years, we've done a lot with impersonation attacks um, and spoofing, whether it's a, 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 a spoofed website or somebody spoofing an email uh, address. Social media is becoming a, a really huge thing where mm-hmm. not only 
can people monitor and get information about you to then social, either social engineer you or people who know you. Um, but people can also set up fake accounts and make you think. We did one in season five where Doug thinks he's finally getting a friend request from Hunter. Uh, and Doug ends up, uh, Doug ends up, oh, you know, through Facebook, basically sending sensitive information and then ultimately sends him, him gift cards. So the, you know, reaching out to people within Mimecast who are subject matter experts, but also other people that we know who are in the field. And then I think the, the other really important piece is going out to our customers, the ones who, you know, the, 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 the CISOs, the security professionals within companies that rely on our awareness training to educate their, their employees and say, what keeps you up at night? What are the topics that we've either covered that you want to see more of? Or do you ever find yourself saying, we wish there was a video on, on this? Mm-hmm. And so it's coming internally. It's coming from uh, outside sources. And in fact, we, we really try to keep those pipelines open. And where we, where we know as this spreadsheet that starts at number one for, oh my God, I can't believe we have to come up with 12 more of these in, in the next you know, very short period of time, uh, that might grow to 18 or 24. And then we, we trim it down to the ones that we're actually going to do. And where we know we're on the right track is if we're hearing it from multiple sources multiple, that are yeah. the P yeah, the people within Mimecast are saying, this is, this is, this is hot right now. And then customers are saying, this is one of our biggest, you know, biggest concerns. And so that, that's how the, the content involved evolves. Then when we know what it is, then we've got to figure out, all right, we can't have Doug screwing up in every episode. We've got to spread the wealth. Yeah. <laughs> and then how do we tell that story? Uh, and then a lot of times it's coming up with an idea, but then I need to go back to the subject matter expert and say, this is the way I want to tell this story. Does this track? Does this make sense? And I've been doing it long enough that it's, it's often right. But then there are some things where the way I, I think I understand it might be wrong. And, and so none of our training, you know, gets out of the gate, never hits the, you know, becomes a written word on the page until I have sign off to say that we're thinking about it the right way. Hmm. And then we'll never shoot a script until people who are a lot smarter than I am have a chance to read it and say, yes, this tracks, this works. Yep. Or, you know, your your jump from A to C completely misses B, and here's how to do that. Um, so so it's it's having the faith in knowing that we can do it, but also knowing that we're that we don't know it all, and we better triple check what we're doing to make sure um, we're talking about it and thinking about it the right way. Yeah, I mean, getting you know asking all the smart people and you know, doing it internally and externally, and then making sure everything's correct because. Yeah, it probably wouldn't look good if a video went out and then you get feedback like this isn't how any of this works or the, you know this doesn't yeah. track this way. Um, yeah, so that's great. I mean, we uh, internally we haven't used or we haven't seen any of the animated um, versions, oh. but is there a difference in how you write for the animated versus like the live action, or is it because I haven't seen any of them? I don't know if they're if they get real crazy because it's animation. You can do whatever you want. Or so after this, I will uh, I will uh, I'll share the, a couple of those with you. But, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting that you say that. And, and this is the cool thing about, 
my job, people say, oh, you, you worked with these people and you, you have this cool TV resume. But the truth is I get to, you know, create these things. I get to write them and pick the actors and, 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 you know, it, a cut is not final until, until I, I, I say it is. And the opportunity to, to create now what is an animated series. Uh, if somebody said uh, years ago, you think you'd ever like to, you know, create a cartoon? I was like, yeah, I don't know anything about that. So what do you do? You find the right companies, the vendors who know how to do that and, and take your vision and, 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 and make that happen. And um, what was so cool about writing the, the animated version was I already had the characters. I already knew what they sounded like. You know, we could make the office look a little sleek and, and cooler. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I write them, I write them the way uh, I write the other ones. It's interesting that on, on paper, the, the animated ones can be a little bit longer because uh, if there's movement, if somebody's got to get up from their desk and, and, and move, things can happen a little bit more quickly in the, in the animated world. The biggest difference with animation is um, something might be prohibitive from a cost perspective or just from a production standpoint, not viable. But you can draw anything. I mean, I can't draw anything, uh, <laughs> but there are people who can draw everything. And so the perfect example is I've always wanted to, uh, to do one on an airplane. And you can go into a studio that has, you know, the you know, the, the body and, and they light it and you shoot it. And it's, and it's really expensive to do that. And so I I always thought that, okay, at some point we'll do that. And we better have, we better shoot as many pieces of episodes on an airplane to, to amortize that cost. But in season five, we did one where they're actually, uh, the team is on their way to a conference, a sales conference in, uh, in Las Vegas and the Felix character has his screen open and a competitor, because everybody's going out to Vegas for the same conference, sees through the seat, is able to see this, this proposal that a character's working on. And it's such a simple, it, the, the video is so simple in concept of what the mistake is and being aware. And whenever your laptop is open, you've got to, even though you don't think anybody's watching, you have to assume that somebody is. Well, we've done that in a cafe or, you know, someplace that is, that is in real life, relatively easy to shoot in, mm-hmm. but shooting that on a plane in animation, all of a sudden, you know, we were able to draw that and have the fun that I, I, I wanted to, to have four years ago with it. Yeah. I mean, you can do a lot more with the animation. Yeah. You can have close-ups on their eyes and stuff like that, you know, yep. person peering through the seats and everything. Um, so yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Um, I had some questions that our, uh, my coworkers wanted me to ask you. We've actually, you've answered most of them just kind of organically through wow. our conversation. Um, yeah. But the one um, that we kind of talked about at the very beginning, uh, one of my coworkers, Nick, uh, recognized the bar that is from, I think, season one as wow. Reunion in uh, New York City and was wondering if that's like where Drew started or how kind of that came about just because it's, I think, someplace he used to go frequently. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's funny that... Um, and and there's a there's a second part of the the story which I will get to, but reunion, uh, which is on uh, 44th Street between 
8th and 9th Avenue in New York is on a block where there's Marseille right above it and then Nizza and then the first five napkin uh, burger, on, which is on the corner of 45th and 9th. Uh, a really good friend of mine from college who is one of the owners in, in all those properties uh, is also an owner in Reunion, which is which is the the, the downstairs bars. Also, Schmackeries, which is the uh, the great cookie bakery around the corner from Five Napkin Burger. Um, but when we, as a startup, and I, you know, having ideas. All right, we have this office we can shoot in, but coworkers go out together after work. How how do we how do we do that? And so I reached out to my 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 friend Rob, um, who was very gracious to first give us access to Marseille in the morning, where we do one where the Terra character um, is throwing down a lot of coffee, has to get up and use the uh, the restroom, and leaves her laptop only to come back and find that it's gone. Um, and so after we shot that one, we then went down into reunion and and, and shot until. They had to kick us out because it was time for real people to come in and and and, and start and start drinking. But yeah, it, and what's so cool about it is it, it's just uh, visually just a really you know it's a surfer bar type of vibe, and it wasn't like we had to go into a raw space and and dress it. Uh, I do remember we we wanted to put beers in the hands of our cast. So we actually did go out rather than taking my my friend's product. We actually. <laughs> did go out and and buy our own but here's the here's the really here's the really interesting thing that was season 1 where we were playing small ball at the time meaning you know our our audience uh is going to be this company that's likely in America and then this company that's likely in America and so i you know really thought that it felt real to have people drinking after work and if they did you know, with somebody who's excited about the possibility of a deal closing, you know, post something on social media that maybe they shouldn't. That seemed very organic and relatable to me. Um, The problem was, as we grew, as a Tata grew, and now we're starting to have uh, people, uh, customers around the globe, different cultures, different religions, Mm -hmm regard alcohol in very different ways. Yes. And so um, to Madden's credit, uh, in season one, some of the content made him a little bit nervous because I think he had his eye on, the on, the bigger, on the bigger picture. And so going into season two, the absolute rule was, you know, nobody's holding nobody's drinking any alcohol or yeah. you know, we did one in season one where Doug is, is, is on a date, which is something I also wouldn't even do now because times have changed so much that, you know, we just stay away from anything that could be um, a trouble area, anything that could, even though our intentions are as good as they could possibly be, is there somebody mm-hmm. who's going to be uh, offended and we, you, you can't protect yourself completely, but you can make, you can be proactive to make those choices, but Doug's on a on a picnic and it's Doug, so he messes up the date. But they're just holding what looks to be white wine. It was just uh, it was just white grape juice. Mm-hmm. Um, but we actually have customers that uh, 
that won't use a couple of those videos from season one because they feature alcohol. So in season two, we go into, we went into a, um, uh, a ping pong club and uh, a friend of mine was a very, 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 very small part owner, um, but made a phone call for me and, and, uh, and we were able to go in there and shoot and everybody's either drinking water or, or Coke. It's a place where you feel like people would, you know, might have a beer or have a cocktail. And, um, we, we, we are intentional. We, we stay away from it now. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense. Yeah. As the, the company's grown and stuff, I mean, Drew kind of touched on a little when he were, when we were talking, um, some of the jokes and stuff he does at offices and things, he has to change based on where he is because just yeah. certain certain things just don't play in certain cultures and stuff like that. So it was just it's kind of interesting that the the product itself is is doing the same thing. Um, yeah, and it's uh, you know in season one, I and this is just you know how things e- evolved. I I thought it would be fun to play into this idea that you know, human error and sound judgment in some way are enemies, but human error has this like fun sort of innocent crush on sound judgment. And he falsely assumes that it, that it might be, it might be mutual. And, um, and of course sound judgment wouldn't possibly consider the likes of human error, but at the same time there is, uh, she also sort of feels this, um, sort of little brother thing, like, yeah, she's, in some ways can't stand the guy, but in other ways, there's something about human error that even she finds amusing. But anything that even feels remotely like it, it, it delves into the romantic, we, you know, we have quickly run away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, we did one where Doug and Claire are sharing in an Uber, you know, it's late after work and Claire realizes that she lost her, her key card. That was, and you know, and the responsible thing to do is report it right away. She ended yeah. up leaving it in the Uber. The Uber driver later lets herself into the office on Monday to re, re, return it. And, but, but the setup of it was, you know, nighttime in New York city and this, you know, credit to our, our, our director of photography it looked great, but there was a romantic feel, even though it wasn't intended. Mm-hmm. But I remember having to cut some of that dialogue, like, wait a minute, is something going on with, you know, with Doug yeah. and, and, and Claire, that's, that's subtext here. And um, so, yeah, we're, we are, and that, and that's a challenge. I, you know, I, I always say that I'm, I'm most impressed with stand-up comedians that can get on stage and make you laugh without having to, I mean, I, and look, I love the ones who are completely filthy as well, but, (laughs) um, but if you can get up and, and, and make people laugh, um, and just speak from your observations without having to go to the dark and, uh, and stuff and, and curse and things, you know, like that. That that is that is that is the the challenge, and it has been challenging. The places where, you know, you know, I want to make a a, a a fart joke, and Madden wouldn't let me. <laughs> Madden actually moved on from from Mimecast several months ago, which means I suppose uh, all those jokes that I've had building up as <laughs> as it work can now finally be. be yeah, hopefully, yeah, hopefully you get it in, uh, written down somewhere. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean. 
Oh, they yeah, they perpetuate them, them <laughs> themselves. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's interesting that um, it's this uh, serving the audience and making the end user um, like what they're seeing and entertaining them, but also being sensitive that whether they're at work or doing their training from home, that there is a corporate culture that we have to fit into. Mm -hmm. And, and what is appropriate for, you know, some industries and some companies and some corporate cultures, you know, that may not be appropriate for others. And so Mm -hmm. we have to think about, um, making it, making it, uh, acceptable for the largest audience, audience possible, which means, um, we can't take, we can't make those cheap jokes. We can't, we can't have the innuendo that, you know, you would easily, you know, see in sitcom. That's like, Oh, that's just how people Mm -hmm. talk. I mean, in, in the reality is in, in, in real life, in, in offices, there are the, uh, you know, relationships developing crazy things happen after, after company holiday parties, people go out for, for dinner or drinks, customers are meeting out, you know, socially. And so all of that, which would be, uh, you know, massive amount of material and all that, um, we intentionally, we intentionally stay away from. Yeah. I mean, uh, that all makes sense. Um, yeah. And before I forget, I mean, special shout out to Michael Madden. I mean, he's the one who connected us. Um, right. Always very thankful. I've uh, had a lot of good conversations with you and was able to get you on the podcast and Drew as well, um, which easily um, some of my favorite episodes so far that I've recorded um, just because they skew a little more to my personal, um, yeah. what I'm good at actually, you know, <laughs> what I yep. actually do and work on. Um, but yeah, I mean, thank you, Jam, for your time. Uh, this is a great conversation. A, a lot of interesting stuff coming out of uh, Mindcast and all the stuff that you guys are doing. I mean, those videos are really entertaining. I mean, we definitely look forward to them all the time. And that's not something you can say about every awareness training. So uh, thanks for the work you do. It's great. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. And a credit to you as well. This has been fun. And uh, you have shared uh, with me some of some of your, your, your own body of work. And I know that... Uh, uh, a lot of your coworkers have uh, have entered into a part of the business that they never thought they would be, and you actually have some 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 talented people. So, uh, to those who uh, um, are out there, you know, if if the day job at Cyberary doesn't <laughs> work out, uh, we've, there's this whole other awareness training thing that uh, we can do. But yeah, there, you know, you're doing some some great you know great stuff there, and. Uh, yeah, it's all about creating, you know, fun content and uh, to your audience, which is which is our audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it it does mean a lot, and it's the highest compliment. And I uh, and I really do appreciate it. Yeah, well, well, thank you. Yeah, I know people here are going to be uh, excited to hear that you've you've watched some of our stuff. I know I sent you some in the past, and that uh, you think they have some chops. I will um, continuously follow follow up with you until I can get myself in one of those videos. Yes. I don't care if I'm in the background, I can be a plant. Um, it yep. doesn't matter. Um, I would love yep. to be in one of those videos. But uh, thanks again, Jan. It's been great talking to you. Likewise. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Cybrary, the premier cybersecurity skill development platform, is empowering individuals and teams to secure the future of technology. See why 3 million people have already signed up when you visit www.cybrary.it.